This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. This is Alyssa Carroll, and I am your host and the creator of at serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Edward Edwards. So Edward Edwards was born Charles Murray, according to him, on June 14, 1933, in Akron, Ohio. And since our last serial killer podcast subject, Joachim Kroll, was also born in 1933, we're going to go ahead and skip the history for just this one. So a lot of Edward's childhood information came from his book, quote, Metamorphosis of a Criminal. And even though he was born Charles Murray, I will continue to refer to him as Edward just to save on confusion. Edward claims his name was Lillian Myers and that she was a small, dark-haired woman and she gave birth to him when she was 22 years old. She was unmarried, therefore he would have been considered an illegitimate child. He did not mention a biological father in his book. So Lillian, when Edward was around a year old, she was working as a housekeeper and we have to make the assumption that she was doing so as a single mother. Now in a moment of desperation, she stole $100 from her employer, which would have been a considerable amount of money in 1934. Her employer discovered it and called the police. Lillian was arrested and sentenced to serve one to three years in prison at the Marysville Reformatory for Women. Edward claims that was the first and only time that she had ever stolen anything. Then in 1935, Lillian was released from prison. Now I imagine she already knew society was going to reject her on some level due to her not being married when she had her baby and then going to prison. She managed to get a rifle and she shot herself in the stomach, the resulting sepsis killing her days later. It was at that point that Edward, two years old, 
was adopted by Fred and Mary Edwards, and they changed his name to Edward Wayne Edwards. Now this new home proved to be mm, troubled. His adoptive mother, Mary, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. At the same time, Fred apparently was an alcoholic. Edward wrote that Fred would come home drunk and urinate all over his sleeping wife, that he beat her and verbally abused her. And between these two issues, Mary decided to send the then seven-year-old Edward to an orphanage in Parma, Ohio. The orphanage was called Parmadale. The nun that greeted him stated, quote, Hello, Ed. My name is Sister Agnes Marie. This is Cottage 6. While you are here in Parmadale, this will be your home. There are 39 other boys in this cottage. You will refer to them as brothers. Do you understand? Unquote. He, of course, agreed. The nun asked him why his parents had sent him there. He said that his mother had explained to him that it was to go to school and that it was a great school. The nun also found out pretty quickly that seven-year-old Edward still wet the bed. He claims that he was quite emotional about the fact that this would be his new home, and that's understandable, of course. Now, the orphanage he was living in was large, spacious, and quite nice. It had plenty of play areas, a swimming pool, a skating rink in the winter. The property was several hundred acres and surrounded by fence. There he learned about consistency in both life and chores. But his bedwetting was still an issue. He stated that they would make him take a spoonful of salt to, quote, dry up his water, but that didn't work. Then they forced him to stand in a cold shower for an hour while holding his urine-soaked linens while all the other boys went on to breakfast. That, of course, morphed into beatings. And when that didn't work, the nun made him take his soiled sheets, go outside during playtime, and shout, quote, I'm a bedwetter. Here are my wet sheets, unquote. Edward wrote that the other children would crowd around him, laughing and pointing. The nun then had him walk to a tree and place his arms around it, hugging it. She then let all of the boys kick him on his bottom. Edward said there were at least 200 kicks, one being from the nun herself. He tried to escape this kicking, but the nun had two larger boys hold him against that tree. Edward wrote that he felt he couldn't please anyone and that he was not lovable. But on a very rare occasion, his adoptive mother and grandmother would come to visit him at the orphanage. They would bring him treats like candy and fruit, but once they were gone, the nun would take his treats away. She said, quote, Ed, you're a bedwetter. You don't deserve all these nice things. So you take one piece each and we'll divide the rest among the other children. Unquote. The hatred he felt was brewing intensely inside of him. 
another boy's mother had visited and brought him a cake. The boy had stored what was left of that cake in a locker. Once everyone had gone, Edward helped himself to the rest of that cake. When the boy later saw that his cake was gone, he of course went to the nun and she immediately walked over to Ed, asking him if he'd eaten it. He denied it, but eventually broke down and admitted it. The beating he got from that was brutal. And then she allowed the other boys to beat him on top of that. So, not surprising, he decided to run away. For the next four years, he made what he said was about 15 attempts to run away. At 11 years old, when he had hitchhiked clear to his grandmother's house in Akron, she brought him back to the orphanage. The nun asked him in front of his grandmother what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said that he plainly was going to be a criminal. The nun told his grandmother that Edward needed help and that he should be seen by a psychiatrist and that she would not have him back. Edward remembers the nun stating his offenses, being almost proud of the fact that she had been right about him all along. So begrudgingly, his grandmother took him back to Akron, Ohio with her and enrolled him in public school, but it was too late. Edward wrote that by that point, he was already scheming about how to be a crook. Now, at this point, World War II was in full swing and cigarettes were being rationed. He would steal his grandmother's cigarettes and sell them. He stole money from her purse. His grandmother gave him money to ride the bus to school, but he would instead hitchhike and then use that money for candy. He openly admitted to stealing a bicycle to get back home from school, but he would leave it somewhere away from the house. He also decided to go door to door asking his neighbors for money, saying that he was, you know, collecting it for various causes, thus stealing, and he was getting very good at lying to people. He was stopped by the police several times during his childhood for stealing bikes and whatnot, and it never deterred him. He earned the reputation of being the toughest kid in the neighborhood, and he says that he loved that. He began physically fighting anyone he could that provoked him. He said that he would fight bullies, that he didn't tolerate bullying at all. But, you know, and yet... So in 1945, his adoptive mother, Mary, died. She was 36 years old, paralyzed, and unable to walk. Edward stated that even though she had been bedridden, she did her best to be good to him, and he was sad at her passing. Edward's scholastic career was not great, to say the least. He skipped classes. He fought but said that when he entered the sixth grade, he found that he liked and respected his teacher. She was encouraging and patient, and he wanted to impress her. He finally earned very high grades. He began playing sports, and after school, he would go to the playgrounds on the churches to play various sports. So, 
It would appear that he had turned over a new leaf and had found some level of peace in his life until some other boys vandalized one of the churches. Edward, of course, was blamed and no one would believe him, not even his own peers, not family. He was expelled from the school that the church belonged to. After, he was able to get a work permit and he began working at a bowling alley, working 9 a.m. to midnight. And he gave most of his paychecks, which were, he said, 20 to $35 a week, to his grandmother. Now, he found some entertainment for himself by setting off fire alarms just to be able to watch the shiny trucks with their loud sirens going off driving down the road. He was 13 years old. His first crush was a neighbor woman who was newly divorced and in her mid-twenties with two small children. She showed Edward kindness and he liked her very much but was not happy to see that another man was visiting her regularly. So he set the man's truck on fire one night and this time he got away with it. Also at this point, he began drinking heavily and was passed out one morning when his grandmother woke him up, telling him someone was downstairs that wanted to speak to him. The detective waiting for him stated that he had seen Edward stumble into his house drunk at 3.30 in the morning. Between this and the other incidences that was known to be due to Edward, he was taken to a detention home. And from there, Edward stated in his book that he was taken to the Philadelphia Protectory, which was a school across the river from Valley Forge. So a protectory is just a Roman Catholic institution for the shelter and training of young persons. It's designed to help neglected or abandoned children by giving them shelter, food, dash of religion, education, and learn a trade. At this point, Edward was 15 years old. Needless to say, Edward was unhappy. He had, yet again, been shuffled to a new and unfamiliar environment. He began to withdraw and isolate. He was, of course, bullied by the other boys, but it was quickly discovered that he could and enjoyed fighting back. And it was very much sort of, you know, prison rules there. Deals were struck between the boys and the guards. Boys cleaned the guards' rooms and so forth, and the guards gave the boys cigarettes. But Edward also indicated there was a, quote, shocking amount of sexual encounters between the boys and the staff and that they were sleeping together. Edward states that because he was a brutal fighter, he was, however, left alone. So just as before, he attempted to run away. He went back to his grandmother's house, but he was promptly returned to the school. He did receive an education along with how to hotwire a car and pick locks. At 16 years old, he ran away again and was doing petty crimes. 
And as he had his awakening, you know, he began having sex, he realized that he absolutely must be dominant over a girl. And it was easy for him to get girls because he was a pretty handsome young man. And if a girl happened to lose interest in him, he would become furious. But then, once he was of age, he joined the U.S. Marines. And so, that was Edward's childhood. Since most all of this was his own account, we have plenty to go on, but we must assume that he was telling the truth about all of it. So as we know, he was born to an unwed mother in 1933. We also know his family was religious. So having sex before marriage would have been a horrible sin, and she would have been shamed, treated like trash because of it. She would have been a social outcast and a shame to her family, and that's a lot for a young woman to bear. But with Edward at a year old, she was working as a housekeeper and she still had her son, or so it would appear, and that she was doing the responsible thing and trying to take care of her child. But as anyone can imagine, she was having a difficult time financially and she stole money from her employer, which landed her in jail for a year. Once out, she now had to contend with the stigma of being a, quote, sinner, a mother with no husband, and now a criminal. It proved too much, and she killed herself. Edward claimed that he witnessed it, but he would have been about two years old, so I'm not entirely sure if that's true or not. He was then adopted by a couple whom he said were actually his mother's family, but that situation wasn't good either. His adoptive father was an abusive alcoholic, and his adoptive mother had a very serious health concern. At seven, he was sent to an orphanage where it was quickly discovered that he was, of course, still wetting the bed. The abuse and humiliation from what that nun put him through was terrible. She treated him as though he could control it, when medically we know he could not. This incontinence is involuntary and can be caused from just simply having a small bladder, or the nerves that control the bladder were slow to mature enough to wake him up. It could be a hormone imbalance, sleep apnea, diabetes, chronic constipation. I mean, there are several reasons why it could have been happening. But making Edward hug a tree as the nun herself and all of these boys kicked him in the bottom is straight up abuse. Do a Google search on quote abuse in orphanages and you will be amazed at the sheer number of articles about how children were physically and sexually abused at the hands of the people who were supposed to be protecting them. And considering he was living in a Catholic orphanage, the mind knows. I mean, we know. Edward ran away several times, indicating that he wanted to become a career criminal and said he liked the attention he got from committing petty crimes. Being rehomed from the orphanage to living with his grandmother, who was completely overwhelmed with him, to a reform school, I mean, he never really had any roots. And, you know, we've gone over that before. 
but moving repeatedly in childhood is associated with poorer quality of life years later. The children's performance at school drops and they tend to have more behavioral problems and it would seem obvious that they had fewer quality social relationships as adults. Edward was bullied and had to learn how to fight early. There was a lot of inappropriate sexual activity going on around him that he was exposed to. He also learned from the other boys who were there for bad behavior how to perfect certain criminal activities. So by the time he was grown and old enough to join the Marines, we see a polished criminal who survived abuse in many forms, never feeling a true bond and love with a caregiver. I just can't imagine that this is a recipe for a rewarding and happy life. So let's get back into his story. Edward did indeed join the Marines in 1950 and indicated he was quite excited to do so. He was 17 years old. World War II was over. He stated he absolutely loved boot camp and after completing it, he was told he could go home and visit his family. He also found out that he would not be shipped off for the Korean War because he was 17 and he went on and on about how this disappointed him immensely. So after that, he went AWOL, meaning he snuck off without permission. He met up with a girl named Mary. He stopped at an army surplus store. He sewed ribbons onto his uniform to make him appear as though he had worked through the ranks. And he liked the respect that he got from people while wearing it. People paid for his dinners and invited him to their homes and he just loved it. And needless to say, he was dishonorably discharged from the Marines. It was at this point that he began to drift around from state to state doing odd jobs. Now, this is something he would do for the rest of his life. But he was arrested in Jacksonville, Florida for a stolen vehicle and given a five-year suspended sentence. He then found himself a job at a gas station where he told everyone within earshot that he had been a Marine for five years that he had a wife that died in a car accident and a baby that had died from pneumonia. He lied about anything and everything. That job didn't last the week. He then got a job at a cattle auction barn, but that didn't last long either. He met a young lady named Linda and they ran off together hitchhiking to Houston, Texas. Now, at some point while they were there, Edward got sick from some spoiled food and he was taken to a military hospital, also due to his lying, only this time a psychiatrist came to visit him in his room. The doctor seemed to know everything about him, knew he had lied about his discharge and pretty much everything else. He was then admitted to the hospital's psychiatric ward, but at first he just thought he was being admitted for food poisoning. The doctor wrote this about him, quote, The personality picture is one of a highly disturbed individual who needs psychiatric help. 
This will probably be impossible since it would take a very long-term treatment to make any change. It is a case of a boy who has multiple difficulties, most of which is too late to correct. A positive directional program may offer much for him, but we really cannot hope for too much. Edward is neurotic and possibly psychotic. His behavior is definitely psychopathic. Unquote. So signs of psychopathy are socially irresponsible behavior, disregarding or violating the rights of others, inability to distinguish between right and wrong, difficulty with showing remorse or empathy, lying, manipulation, and reoccurring problems with the law. And we all know now he ticks every one of those boxes. Now, while he was in the hospital, Linda began sleeping with another man. During a begged-for and begrudgingly given weekend discharge from the hospital, he found her and physically attacked her and beat her severely. He said if she ever cheated on him again, he would, quote, cut your head right off your shoulders and shove it up your goddamn ass, unquote. Then he forced her to pack their things and they fled to Akron, Ohio against the psychiatrist's orders. He was supposed to come back to the hospital. And they weren't in Akron long when Linda said that she really kind of wanted to go back to Florida to her family. At this point, I don't know whatever happened to Linda. I couldn't find anything. I know she was brutally raped and then he said he allowed her to go back to her family. Somehow, I highly doubt that. But he, of course, took back up his life of crime, stealing car batteries and hubcaps and tires and selling them for money. Edward was driving around dressed as a Marine, and, of course, he was finally pulled over by a policeman who knew that that car was stolen and took Edward down to the station. Once there, he realized the FBI was waiting for him. He was charged with impersonating a Marine and driving across state lines in a stolen car. He was sentenced to two years in the Chillicothe Federal Reformatory in Ohio. This was 1952. Edward was only 19 years old. Now, you guys will probably find this interesting. While he was in the Chillicothe prison, Edward met Charles Manson, the Charles Manson. But Edward was then released in 1953 with no intention of turning his life around. He wrote in his book, quote, There would be no more stupid, impulsive ripoffs. I would plan every crime deliberately, patiently, and cold-bloodedly, whether it was forgery, burglary, or armed robbery. I was still defiant. The world must be made to realize how smart I was. This time, I was going to make a full effort to prove my worth." Unquote. In 1955, he was jailed again in Akron, but escaped and traveled the country again, robbing gas stations and whatnot for money. 
He bragged that he never disguised himself because he loved the attention and he wanted to be famous. In 1961, he made the FBI's most wanted list and was wanted for questioning regarding a murder on a lover's lane in Portland, Oregon. He was captured and put in Leavenworth, Kansas, where he remained until he paroled in 1967. And then after this, he claimed he was a reformed man. He married Kay Heatherly in July of 1968 and began traveling as a motivational speaker about his life and how he had turned it around. The couple had their first child they named April in 1969. In 1972, he wrote his autobiography called, quote, Metamorphosis of a Criminal, The True Story of Ed Edwards, unquote. And he even appeared on two television shows. One was, quote, To Tell the Truth, and the other was, quote, What's My Line? Now, between 1974 and 2009, it is important to note that, according to his daughter, they moved around a lot and lived in many different states. But we know Edward was living back in Ohio in 1977 because he shot a young couple at point-blank range in the neck, thus killing them both. They had been spending time together in a park. Then in 1980, three years later, the Edwards family was in Wisconsin when Edwards stabbed and strangled to death a young couple. This murder was referred to as the Sweetheart Murders. Now, Edward was questioned about the murders at the time, but they just didn't have enough evidence to arrest him. In 1996, he and his wife were back in Ohio, where they allowed a 25-year-old young man, Danny Edwards, to live with them. In fact, he was their unofficial adopted son. He did put paperwork in to have his last name changed, but he wasn't ever officially adopted. Edward took out a $250,000 life insurance policy on Danny, then murdered him to collect it. But he left Danny's body behind a cemetery, allegedly, partially covered so that it wouldn't be found immediately. Edward stated in an interview that he went back several times to check on the body. And he did say he wanted Danny to be discovered, but not quickly. A year later, he went to check on the body and he found that the animals had gone through the corpse and had separated the skull from the body. So he picked up the skull and threw it into a field. A hunter found the rest of the remains. So in March 2009, April, Edward's daughter, was watching a TV show about a cold case of a double murder near Madison, Wisconsin. She contacted the police and told them that she believed her father was responsible for the murders. One source stated that she told the police that her father had taken her and her siblings to the actual scene of the murder. April went on to describe her father as having a dark side 
being verbally and physically abusive toward her mother and making her and her brothers watch videos about the Zodiac Killer. And he apparently screamed at the TV, quote, that's not how it happened, unquote. In July 2009, Edward was arrested on murder charges in Louisville, Kentucky, and he later pled guilty to the five murders. He was found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection, but died of natural causes just months before the execution was to take place in 2011. He was 78 years old. And I know there's a lot of gaps in there, okay? Lots and lots of gaps, I know. There are a lot of theories out there that Ed Edwards was responsible for a great many other and very high-profile murders. Some try to link him to John Binet, others to Adam Walsh, and even some point to him being the Zodiac Killer and the one who murdered the Black Dahlia. I find these theories fascinating, and one really good site I found that lists every possible, theorized, but highly improbable murder is on coldcasecameron.com. If you are interested, go have a look. I don't believe Edward was capable of all of the things listed there, but it is a super interesting site nonetheless. It's coldcasecameron.com. So what we have here is a man born into a society that wouldn't accept his mother, given her circumstances as a single mother. We don't know anything about his biological father, but we do know his mother killed herself. He wasn't really given the opportunity to form the crucial attachment bonds necessary to have a successful childhood and the important relationships that go with it. He was abused and bullied his entire childhood and exposed to sexual things at too young of an age, and he was diagnosed as a psychopath in his very late teens. So what could possibly go wrong? What do you think? Leave me a comment at Serial underscore Killing on Instagram or YouTube under the same name of this podcast. You can visit my website at SerialKilling.Squarespace.com and also consider sponsoring the podcast. It takes a lot of time to do these, but I love it. And I'm really trying to fit more podcasts in during the week, but my nine to five is the master of time suckage. But regardless, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every one of you, as I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. Thank you and have a great